Just what is it that you want to do? Well, we want to be free. We want to be free to, to do what we want to do. And we want to get loaded. And we want to have a good time. And that's what we're going to do. Well, wait, baby, let's go. We're going to have a good time. We're going to have a party. Welcome to yet another episode of Diminishing Returns, the third in a three-part trilogy of episodes in which we're looking at the works of uh, Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg, their collaborations. If you haven't already listened, we've done Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz, and today we will be looking at The World's End. Uh, I am Alan, over there, eating an ice cream, is Sol. I'm just... I'm going to put... I like shoved the last bit in my mouth. <laughs> I'll wait, wait, one more second. There we go. I should have done it and gone ah, ah, like he does in Hot Fuzz when, <laughs> when he does the same thing. Right. It was at least it was a Cornetto you were eating, right? Yes. <laughs> uh, very good, very good. Okay. How would you know? How would you know, eh? How, how would I Either know? way. And you know what, Alan? I'm also uh, going to have 12 pints over the course of this recording. Ooh, that sounds like a lot. Yeah. Over about an hour and a half. <laughs> well, you know, there you go. That's pint number one. That sounds like a beer, doesn't it? <laughs> one of those beers in two litre bottles. <laughs> Here we go. Pouring it out. Just that's the pump. <laughs> Got one of those kegs in the house. So there we go. We're we're really getting into the spirit of the world's end. Mm. So, for those of you who may not have listened to the previous two episodes, but you really like the world's that is, end. There is no one <laughs> who is going to listen to an episode on the world's end and not Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. That is insane. That If you are that person, please get in touch because I do not think you exist. But what I was going to say is to put it in short, we thought Shaun of the Dead was pretty much perfect. Masterpiece. Hot Fuzz was excellent. Good. I'd probably, I probably wouldn't say excellent. I would have said good, solid. Oh, it's like our eleventh highest rated film on the website, Alan. It's, oh, fair it's... enough, fair enough. And the world's end. Calvin, Calvin <laughs> started slagging it off at the end of last week's episode, saying he thought it was awful. Yeah, and you and I kept our mouth shut. <laughs> no spoilers. So yes, I think I alluded to uh, thinking less of it. I mean, yeah, there's no, there's no getting away from it, is it? I mean, this, this is the redheaded stepchild of the of the trilogy. But do I, but do I think less of it? Hmm. Maybe I was just, maybe I was just doing a little trick. No. Maybe I was being sneaky, <laughs> like a little robot. Yeah. Oh. I am a robot alien. <laughs> you wouldn't know, would you? If I was or not, until I bleed. <laughs> so a robot. So yeah, let, I mean that's the robot month. If we're going to jump blue, <laughs> it's like in the adverts. Um, <laughs> if yeah, uh, this episode's gonna... off to a weird start. 
So let's jump right in here. Um, to just put this in a little bit of context, this was made in 2013. Uh, Edgar Wright had gone yeah. off and made Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. So a substantial gap between um, this and Hot Fuzz when Six compared years, to the yeah. gap between Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. Twice, yeah. twice the gap. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, he'd, he'd, so the main thing Edgar Wright had done in that time is Scott Pilgrim versus the World, yeah, um, which didn't do that well, did it? I think it did all right, but it didn't it, quite it was, break America, did it? It was a big deal in terms of geek credibility, yeah. And I believe it was a Canadian film, so you know, right. I don't think it was quite like he was making a Hollywood film that didn't perform amazingly well. I think he made a Canadian film, and it it mm. was a kind of underground popular thing with nerds which is what it was meant to be so oh, fair enough. yeah um simon Pegg uh went and became scotty from star trek and, yeah he went all hollywood on us and they did paul with, with him and nick frost did paul yeah. uh he went in mission impossible didn't he and uh yeah, yeah. i mean that oh, was yeah. that was pre uh pre hot fuzz the mission yeah but impossible he was gig. he was more of them so yeah simon Pegg. And Edgar Wright had gone Hollywood, and they came back to their British roots to make the world's end. Yeah. And this definitely feels like a film, making a film with your mates kind of film. Getting getting the bands back together. Exactly, yeah. And uh, yeah. would that be a good segue to talk about the cast? Uh, yeah. So, your principal well, cast. I, well, Alan, I mean, it feels a bit early, but... I've done a little quiz with you in the previous two episodes. Oh, yeah. I feel like for the sake of completion, much like why they made this film, <laughs> <laughs> even though you sometimes feel like maybe they felt like they just had to fulfill an obligation. Um, <laughs> so you've half-assed a quiz, is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, wanted to, I wanted to try it. Like, I really did. I put a bit of effort in. I was like, oh, I'm going to find out what, like ranking the world's end is in terms of like how common a pub name it is. Couldn't okay. find it online. Mm. So I've just done name everyone who is in Shaun of the Dead Spaced or Hot Fuzz who appears in this film. Okay. The same thing we've done with the previous two films. So yeah, Simon Pegg, Nick Frost. Yeah, yeah, uh, they're in all three, obviously. Space Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. Yeah. Paddy Considine, Martin Freeman. Uh yeah. Sorry, I'm just trying to find them on my list. But obviously they are both in this. Yeah, Paddy Considine, one of our, our lead mates in this film, was obviously one of the Andes and Hot Fuzz. And Martin Freeman, one of the other mates in this, was a policeman at the start of Hot Fuzz. And what was he like? The alternate Sean when they run yeah. into their parallel selves in Shaun of the Dead. Um well Rafa Spall's in there. <laughs> oh Rafi. Yep, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and then he appears as a guy looking around a house at the start of this film. A little clue, who does he appear with looking around that house? Oh, I don't know. It's uh, it's Alice Lowe, who had a very small role as Tina, one of the Summerfield employees in Hot Fuzz. Oh yeah, the one who hangs around with Pierce, uh, Timothy Dalton. Sorry, I was going to say yeah. Pierce Brosnan then, the wrong film. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, Reese Shearsmith. Yeah, Reese Shearsmith was in Spaced. He was in two episodes of Spaced, in fact. He played mm-hmm. a character called Dexter, who was a robot wars enthusiast kind of guy. 
what's his name who was is the guy on the bike in Spaced? Tyres, yeah, <laughs> That's Michael it. Smiley <laughs> who plays the Reverend Green in this. He plays Tyres in Spaced, and he arguably... T- uh, and he arguably plays Tyres in Shaun of the Dead as well. A zombie version of Tyres appears outside the Winchester. And the old fella who has a load of guns in Hot Fuzz. David Bradley. Yeah? Yeah, that, he know, plays it? Basil in this. Well, yeah, he's in this as the old he fella. He was in Hot Fuzz. Yeah. I missed it. Oh, Bill Nye. Bill Nye, yes. He was in Shaun of the Dead, obviously, as Philip. Hot Fuzz as a policeman. And he's in this as the voice of the... Alien Network. There's a big spaced one. You have well, there's two big spaced ones actually. Oh, Mark Heap. Yeah, Mark Heap finally appears in the trilogy. Mark Heap, who played Brian in Spaced, was a very notable absence in the trilogy up until this point, and he has a, a very small role as a publican. Twist never turned up, did she? <laughs> what happened to Twist, eh? <laughs> yeah. uh, while you were talking there, I did have time to remember the name of Julia Deakin. Yes, she's one of the ones in everything. Yeah, Space, she was Marsha, the landlady. Sean, she's the alternate Barbara. And Hot Fuzz, she is a publican. She, of course, is in this as... Um, B&B owner? The, yeah, that's it, the B&B owner. Um, well, you've got one person who's in all th- every everything. Mm-hmm. Sean for the Hot Fuzz, World's End. Edgar Wright? Spaced. Yes, Edgar Wright. Any idea who he I is in this I do not recall one? seeing him in this at all, no. I've actually forgotten who he played <laughs> in this, so I'm going to have to look it up. I think he's the voice of something, would be my guess. Um, <laughs> what is it? Is it an Italian restaurant? <laughs> he is the voice of a construction worker when they go to get Paddy Considine at the start. Oh, really? You have got three left, but these are quite... Think basically extras. Think yeah. zombies. <laughs> Uh, nothing's coming to mind. I'd just be sort of rambling. So. Right, we've got Patricia Franklin. She played Annette Roper in Hot Fuzz, but she was also the spinster old woman zombie in Shaun of the Dead. I mentioned her last episode. We've got Mark Donovan, who plays a character, I believe he's credited as Big Ugly Bastard in this. I think he's a guy <laughs> at the very end in the pub. Okay. Um, he was the hulking zombie in the garden in Shaun of the Dead, who has a toaster thrown at his head. Yeah. And we have Nicola Cunningham, who plays Mary in the garden in Shaun of the Dead, who's Mm -hmm. um, a member of the therapy group at the start. Also, uh, credited on IMDb, but I'm telling you right now, it's fucking bullshit. Do you know I know? Because I watched the film. (laughs) Uh, Peter Serafinowicz is listed as the homeowner of the Knockador Run game, you know, when he... Rings a doorbell and then they run off. And that was a much younger out. and muscular man. <laughs> yeah, he looks nothing like Peter Serafin. No, it didn't. It's only a, so, even in a sort of out of focus background. It's still not definitely yeah, not him. Baffling that that's made up on there, but uh, definitely not. No. Yeah. Although I tell you what. I thought Peter Serafinowicz's presence was uh, sorely missed in this film. It really seemed like he should have been cast as one the guy, of the, the grumpy bully. friends. As oh, the... yes, shit, it was the bully. That's what I was thinking. Sorry, not the friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've made a note. That guy who was in, like, Smack the Pony and all those other shows that yeah, you've seen. Him. Yeah, he, he's, um, he's kind of a lesser British comedy guy who appears in a lot of stuff. And I never really thought anything of him until I saw him in Killing Eve recently. And it was like, oh, oh really? he's actually pretty good in this. He was in a sitcom with Simon Pegg, early Simon Pegg sitcom called Hippies. Alex was just saying he doesn't think he's Jesus. Uh-oh. What's the matter, Hugo? 
nothing. It's, it's just if okay. If if Alex isn't uh, Jesus, that kind of makes it more likely that um, I am, and I've always had a little bit of a, a worry about that. You're worried you might be Jesus. No, well, I don't want to make a big thing of it. You know, I don't want followers or anything. I'd be I'd be a pretty low key Jesus. <laughs> Darren Boyd. Yeah, I watched that way back when. I've never seen it since. So whenever it was bad, on, that's actually. the last time it's I saw it. It's got a lot of that classic Matthews Linehan, let's start at the end and contrive a way to get there sort of writing that I love. And don't you think, like I say, Peter Serafinowicz should have been that character. And I, I can't imagine he was too busy. So I don't know quite <laughs> what that was about. But... Okay, so talking about the cast then, I think I would... Might be giving away too much too soon, but probably the worst performances I've ever seen from every single member of the cast. Really? Yeah, I think acting is just terrible throughout. Well, all right. And not not terrible, it's probably harsh, but poor from people who are capable of better. Not quite what you're saying here, but in a similar ballpark, but at the other end of the spectrum. I'm just going to lay it out there. I think Gary King is substantially... Uh, the most interesting, I would say the best protagonist out of any of these films. Um, the best role Simon Pegg's played in one of these films. Yes, I, I know what you mean by that, and I would probably agree in that blank statement, but I would say... I do say agree that the there's perhaps that, better acting on show from him in yeah. the other two films. But I would also argue that perhaps because of the blandness of Sean and Nick Angel, that allows the kind of wackiness of the world to come out there's the straight leading yeah, man yeah whereas yeah. here you've got the wacky leading man um wacky probably not quite the right word but you know i, I yeah. think that sort of unbalances everything and I, I i don't know in hot fuzz you've got that in the form of danny butterman he's a very cartoonishly big character and he's you know practically a lead yeah but he's still yeah he's, he's still the, the sidekick really isn't he and i think that's what works, and that's what Nick Frost is good at. And it does beg the question, which I'm sure has been asked many a time, is why isn't Nick Frost playing Gary King? Because it's obviously I, a more natural fit, but is yeah. it just too obvious? I think they just, yeah, I think they felt they wanted to do something a bit less obvious, a bit unexpected, outside of their comfort zone. But you're right, it feels like it would have been a much more natural fit, and it would have probably worked better had you just swapped those two roles around. Mm -hmm. It would have been... And I, I genuinely feel like it's even written that way, and then they've gone, hey, let's just swap it, see what happens. Fuck it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's what, how it feels. Yeah. Rather yeah. than writing to themselves, they're just sort of like, hey, let's play each other this one. Yeah. Which I think... I, I can see why that might be interesting and might sort of bring something new to it. But I think Nick Frost is definitely not at his best here. Um, yeah. And I think Simon Pegg does a pretty solid job with what he's doing. I think he's good in this. I do actually really like what he does here. I I, I really like Gary King a lot. Mm. And yeah, it's, it's a really solid central character, but then there's nothing around him. All the other yeah. characters are too bland. Yeah, that, that's the thing. You, you've surrounded him with great actors who I like a lot. I mean, Martin Freeman's Never, not bland. Really, I don't think I've ever seen him. I, I say that as someone who actually likes him. But, yeah, but, but it, you play a certain just, type. Yeah, yeah. But then you've kind of surrounded him with 
three other people doing the exact same thing. You've got Paddy Considine, kind of in plain vanilla Paddy Considine mode, mm. which is a shame because he is someone who can do very, you know. Now Paddy Considine could play Gary King, like he could nail oh, yeah, that, no yeah. problem. He'd be good at that. Uh, yeah. Then you've got Eddie Marson, who is. Yeah. I mean, we've we've asked this before. What the fuck is Eddie Marson? Who is he? He's in. <laughs> well, he's in I, bloody I never, Fast and Furious, Shobbs and Hall. Is he? Whatever it's called. Yeah, he's in that. Uh, here's here's a little uh, little review for you. He can't do a Russian accent. Uh, just bear that in mind <laughs> while you're watching the film. Okay, so yeah, go on. I just had no idea who he was before this film, and I, I don't really, having seen this film, still don't really get it. <laughs> what is Eddie Martin? But Why I don't does think he I'd keep popping up in like, massive Hollywood films? This. What's going yeah. on? Yeah. <laughs> uh. I mean, that's that's not to say that he's bad here or anything. Oh, no, he's a great actor. Yeah, 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 yeah. But what is he? No, I don't know. It's bizarre, (laughs) isn't it? But that's our core group of friends. And yeah, it really, it does feel like the film would have benefited had some of them been a bit more richly drawn personalities, just a bit more. Because it largely feels like we've got several of the same people. Yeah, and, for, it, and it doesn't yeah. lend itself to comedy or entertainment. Like, there's a scene where they all meet on the train station while they're waiting for Gary King. It's the first time they've seen each other in 20 years. And it's just it's just the weakest banter. And I, I, I think it must be deliberate. It's like they're just these middle-aged men who have got kind of no, yeah. no wit <laughs> because they're just kind of a little bit yeah. dead inside. I, I think it's deliberate, but it's not entertaining. Hey! Stephen! Thank God. I had a horrible feeling I was going to be the only one here. I reckon that's not the last horrible feeling you can have today, mate. This can't be happening, can it? You said it. What the hell are we doing here? Well, we always did. Follow Gary King into almost certain oblivion. Hello, Stephen. <laughs> All right, mate. Peace. Hi, right, mate. Didn't we decide to stop calling him Fearless Leader somewhere around 1992? Old habits die hard. Uh, They'll be putting that on Gary's tombstone. No, they won't, you know. He'll outlive us all. That'd be funny if it wasn't true. There's, it takes. It's like about four pints in when they actually start having a bit of a laugh and, and kind of having a yeah. joke with each other, and then we kind of get disrupted, and that whole story just gets turned on its head. Mm. So it, we never quite get the payoff of them being a group of mates who all kind of like, yeah, you know, just pressing each other's buttons and stuff. Yeah, very odd choice of plot. <laughs> but it's not just them in the cast, obviously. Well, we, well, okay, so you've got... Um, Doctor Who? Have you? What? <laughs> Who? Isn't that Lady... Do- oh, it's not Lady Doctor Who. Who's the no, woman No, it's in not, there? you fucking racist. <laughs> Who is it? Young white woman. It's Rosamund Pike, who is... Oh, shit. Well, oh, Bond no, that's Gone Johnny Girl, English. isn't it? Is that Gone Girl? Uh, yes. But she's also in Die Another Day with Pierce Brosnan, and she's oh. in a Johnny English film. I assumed... She turned up, and we've been talking about Doctor Who so much lately, and how little we think of it. <laughs> so you thought I she could, was uh, Jodie jo- jo- Whittaker? I couldn't even remember who Doctor Who is these days. <laughs> so, I knew they'd done a woman doctor. Soul white racist. Oh no, Harry. she's in Attack the Block, isn't she, Doctor Who? That's what I'm yes, thinking yes, of. Yes, yes, yes. That's what I'm thinking of. That's what, yeah. Uh, okay, I see what I've done. But that's it. Rosamund Pike plays uh, the sister of one of the characters who essentially becomes a bit of a romantic entanglement. But, yeah, but she, even again, that never she quite never, feels yeah, never quite pays properly. off. 
She just sort of drops in. Other than that, there's no other significant characters. I know there's lots of other little characters. There's lots of like, hey, that we can put this person from a sitcom we worked on ten years ago in here, kind of roles. It re- it really feels like they've written two characters. That's the Snick Peg character and fucking hell. Nick Peg, the, the, the Simon Peg character and the Nick Frost character. They've written those characters, decided to swap them, and then worked out the kind of character arc of that journey, and then just sort of padded the rest. And it really feels half-assed and not thought through at all, which is something I really do not associate with the Simon Pegg, Edgar Wright uh, work. Yeah. 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 But there are a lot of other people in the film, even though they're kind of just... Throwaway. Little, I mean, cameos, practically, aren't they? Mm. And obviously there's a big get in the mix, one that really annoys me. Pierce Brosnan. Yeah, Bronholm. Do you know why it really annoys me? Because it's not Timothy Dalton. Nope. <laughs> uh, no, I don't know why it annoys you. Go on. Because there's no James Bond in Shaun of the Dead. <laughs> I do not like that lack of neat and tidy. It creates a, a symmetry that isn't consistent throughout the trilogy. Does one of them do a Sean Connery impression at some point? <laughs> just... No, I don't think so. It's alright. We just need, we need to start the campaign to get... Um, Peter Serafinowicz cast as James Bond. <laughs> Everyone loves to laugh, and now you can with James Bond, licensed to tell jokes on DVD. I uh, had to shoot an assassin with a harpoon last week. I think he got the point. Recorded over three nights at the London Palladium, licensed to tell jokes is the funniest stand-up DVD on sale. <laughs> I was brushing up on a little Danish. And very nice she was too. Nobody does it better! I once killed an assassin by throwing an electric heater into his bathtub. Shocking. Positively shocking. James Bond, licensed to tell jokes. Live and let buy it now! (laughs) (laughs) Who, who, right, out of everyone in Shaun of the Dead, who do you think is the most realistically likely one? To play James Bond at some point. Okay, I'm gonna have to go deep for this. Let me have a. Think. I know, I know. I'm gonna have a proper look at the cast. <laughs> Rafe Spall. Ooh, I mean, he's at least young enough to do it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not many of them are. If he beefed up a bit, ago. I he, it wouldn't be completely absurd. No, he may, he can wear a suit. He's the kind of guy who turn up in uh, Q's lab. He's the kind of guy days, who'd play it? like 008 uh, yeah, and yeah. then would like, uh, you know. Or a James Bond in like Kingsman 4. <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. But yeah, I yeah, think I you've think probably nailed it there. It's got to be uh, yeah. you know, Rafe Spall. All right. Um, well, that was the world's end. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> okay, let's attack the plot uh, a little bit. Um, I mean, right up front, I want to say. Good on Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright for not resting on their laurels. This film would have been very easy for them to just approach it as a kind of victory lap. We're just going to come back, do some callbacks to the other films. And, you know, whether or not it works, Mm -hmm. they really tried to do something new with this, something they haven't done before. There's definitely a point to this. You know, it's... 
it's not like a lazy film by any stretch of the imagination. Mm. I'd, I'd I like think, to come back I to think... that, what the point of it is. I would like to visit okay. that later um, because I'm not sure what it is. Okay, so the the film begins with a sort of flashback sequence with uh, the Gary King character narrating a story from his youth of him and four friends going on a pub crawl. And in typical kind of right peg style, it, it tells you the story, or at least signposts a it's lot of uh, points. Yeah, it's a great opening montage, I think. There's um, great use of music. You've got a, a remix of the Magic Roundabout theme tune. Mm. Uh, yeah, that Summer's does. Magic, I believe it's called. That does work um, very nicely, actually. It gives a yeah, kind of yeah, sets the, yeah, sets the era. Um, it's obviously very in line with everything they've done before, given that they use the actual Magic Roundabout theme in space as well, very prominently in an episode. Um, I was I was loving the music all the way through this actually. Yeah, kind I of mean, really it, hit my era that sort of yeah. early nineties stuff. I've said it in the previous two episodes, but the soundtrack to these films is is wonderful. Sadly, this uh, film soundtrack CD uh, was put together kind of after. CDs had kind of become old hat and it was all streaming services, so they obviously didn't put the same care and effort into it. You know, I was mm. going on about how great the soundtrack CDs were for Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz, where they kind of mixed them all together. This one is just basically a playlist, but it's a great playlist. There's some great songs in there. Uh, Sisters of Mercy are used wonderfully well throughout the film, and there, This Corrosion, which is a song that's used, isn't it, is um, so kind of big and... and uh, grandiose like a film score anyway that when they start dropping snippets of that in it, it works so nicely but yeah it's beyond that like you say you've got some suede in there brilliant song you've got um the doors yeah, uh, yeah. used really well yeah great soundtrack who is it that does the one that we want to be free to do what we want to do that the one that samples um, that yeah it's uh it's primal a, screen uh yeah that sounds right <laughs> It's obviously a quote from an old film. I forget the name of the film, and then they repeat it at the end of this film. Um, well, the song plays throughout the film, and then yeah, the uh, that yeah, and then at the end of the film, it sort of culminates in that little speech. Just what is it that you want to do? We want to be free. Yeah. We want to be free to do what we want to do. Yeah. We want to get loaded. Yeah. And we want to have a good time. And that's what we're gonna do. It's from a film from 1966, Alan. Yeah. Called The Wild Angels. Ah, oh, I bet they ride Which is exactly what I just said. It, it, <laughs> the poster is a load of young kids on motorcycles. Yeah, just ripping off the wild one. Yeah. yeah. The tagline is, Their credo is violence, their god is hate, and they call themselves... Do you know what? The Wild Angels? Yeah. <laughs> Starring Peter Fonda and Nancy Sinatra and Bruce Dern. <clears throat> How did you feel about all the pub names? Um, I mean, I didn't. I was sort of like, okay, these all obviously mean something. I didn't work them all out. Do you want to try and work them out now? <clears throat> Go on then. You talk me through it. All right, number one, the first post. What's that about? Why is it called the first post? Well, because it used to be the uh, post station of the of the village. Very well done. Very well done. <laughs> Number two is the old familiar, which is nice because that's the one they comment on, looking exactly the same as the other one, and that kind of Starbucks yeah. franchising of pubs and everything. So which is, of course, nice. in itself a 
kind of allegory for the whole film and some yeah. sort of message of people being yeah. assimilated. I was like, uh, we'll come back to that. I wasn't quite sure what yeah. they were trying to say. Number three, the famous mm. cock. Uh, is that Simon Pegg? Yeah, it's the, it's the pub that Gary's banned from, so that works nicely. Because he's a famous cock. Yeah. <laughs> he's it? a cock and he's famous for being a cock. <laughs> Number four, the cross hands. Bit abstract, this one. What happens in that? This is the one where they are attacked by robots. Is it because they do a lot which... of bit, a bit of kung fu fighting in the? In the I lesson. think so. I think the robots do like a kind of cross hands thing where they kind of cross their hands before they attack people. So I th- assume it's meant to be about that, but you could read it a few ways. This. Uh, then we've got number five, the good companions. That's just where they kind of keep it together and and pretend nothing's yeah wrong. So I think that's just because they're being mates. Uh, number six, the trusty servant. That's a nice easy one. Is it? It's where they well, it's where they meet Reese Shearsmith and uh, Nathan Barley. Oh, so they're the they're the trustees. They're the ones that are yeah. yeah. Uh, number seven, the two headed dog. This one's quite nice and easy as well. Yeah, the twins. Yeah, the twins are there, and the twins attack them. Uh, number dogs. eight, the mermaid. This one works nicely. Uh, mermaid. It's the one that's been turned into a nightclub. Oh, the sirens. Yeah, the sirens like try and lure them in. The young, to their death. young women. The, the young yeah. women singing. Join our club. Join us. <laughs> They're not singing, but it's playing on the music. It's yeah. definitely done in a kind of. Uh, number nine, the beehive. Is that where the all the people are? All the. You yeah, know, the hive of every Ron Hom turns up and bots. sort of says, look, this is what we're doing, this is how it works. Join the hive, come be part of it. Yeah. Number ten, the king's head. So that's the one that's closed when they get there. It's empty. It's the one where Gary King just kind of loses it and everything goes mad. So I assume it's like so it's obviously a reference to Gary King. Yeah. Everything comes to a head. I don't know, it's a bit broad Something that like one. That, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> This next one's nice. The hole in the wall. Because they smash the car through it? Yep. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and then, last of all, the world's end. That's the end of the world. Yes, yes. So, there you go. So, we, we open with uh, Gary in a meeting. He's well, obviously we, having problems. We kind of... Pre- well, my, my immediate assumption was like an alcoholic and ominous thing, but yeah, 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 yeah. it could even be a therapy session, like the suggestion that he may have... Uh, tried to kill himself even later on, and that he yeah, was... later on, definitely it's very. But, um... but definitely he's been in hospital, so it might have been an actual more like a group therapy thing than alcoholic yeah, specifically. Yeah. But it, it, the point is, it's some sort of group session. He's not quite coming to terms with his issues. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a really nice um, premise actually to to set this film going. The idea that he's really stuck in the past, and you know, they they, they play on the tragedy of it. They mm. um, they have him lay out this night out, which is you know very relatable, I think, to most people. Kind of night you have out as a seventeen, eighteen year old, and then uh, the sad thing is, you know, he says we we knew it would never get better than this, and it never did. And it's like, oh, mm. there you go, that's sad, isn't it? It is quite sad because it never did for him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then we see him getting, going and finding all his friends who are now grown ups with proper lives, uh, yeah. getting them all together. 
it's a nice few scenes, I think. Um, well, yeah, it, 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 man, it, it sets up all the characters. Yeah, it sets up all the characters without getting too boring, uh, especially given the characters are quite boring. We get a lot of Gary King through how he uh, yes. approaches each of them, though. You see a lot of that with how he um, manipulates one of them into coming by paying him back money he owes him that we then find out he borrowed from two of the other people that mm-hmm. are there, that sort of thing. Um, and it really, you know, this film doesn't paint Gary as a nice guy from no. start to finish, but it, even up front, it's not like a slow descent into who is this guy. It's like, oh, this is a this is a destructive narcissist of a character mm. with, yeah. with real personality issues who you completely understand why these friends have kind of largely cut from their lives, but at the same time they, they kind of pity him and feel an obligation to humour him. And that's it. And, and Again, with a slight problem that they're all the same, you never quite get the feeling that one of them is like, hey, do you know what? It would be good to see all the lads again and just go out for a yeah. drink. Like, Yeah, they might not be thinking, let's do 12 pints, but none of them seem interested <laughs> at all. And well, but then they, all they don't seem off, interested so, until yeah. they get there, but then a lot of them do click into, oh, this will be nice, you know, see yeah. everyone, have a chat. And I, I think it is quite um, handled fairly well. I do love Nick Frost's character's descent into just absolute, like, alcohol-fueled despair, I mean, basically, mm-hmm. throughout this film. I, I, I think perhaps the initial fuck it, I'm drinking could be handled a a little tiny bit better, but for the most mm. part, I I really like the payoff when he's just I fucking hate this town and all that shit near the end. Him getting angry, punching the shit out of robots. It's uh, <laughs> I think it's quite satisfying payoff for that character. So uh, our main kind of character drive at this point is there's some deeper history between Gary and Andy. That's the Simon Pegg Nick Frost characters that we're not quite privy to. There's a mention of an accident. They haven't spoken to each other. No one else can believe that Andy is even talking to Gary. You know, something else has happened, which we don't know about. Yeah. And it does get revealed later, and in a kind of not very dramatic way. It mm. it doesn't quite get thrown away, but it's not made a big deal of. Yeah. When you actually like finally find what big, it is. The big moment. Yeah, and to be honest, the big moment comes shortly afterwards when uh, when we find out that the 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 heavily implied moment where it's like, oh, he's tried to kill himself. Gary yeah. King tried to kill himself. That's why this is all. Mm. That's what kickstarted all of this, is it? And then you kind of understand why his behavior is, or maybe not understand, but you can certainly empathize with his behavior a little bit because it's like, oh, he's really like. He's, you know, he's Hurt. very, he's a, a low <laughs> he's, point, yeah. Yeah, he's trying to, you know, cover up pain, you know. It's, it's... That is something else that I felt like I didn't get that perhaps I wanted at some point, maybe even just at the end, is the despair of Gary King. Like, actually mm. accepting that he is miserable and depressed rather than putting this face on. Like, it's it never yeah. it never really yeah. shifts. I, I love that moment where you get the reveal of his attempted suicide and everything. I think that works lovely. But you're right, it would have been much nicer if the film had kind of really plunged down into those depths properly. Um, just just for character, really. I mean, just yeah. to just to have that different levels of that character. Maybe, like, even if it's just, like, when he goes into the bathroom on his own, like, he has a, a second where the 
the facade slips and he can be himself. And then he yeah. has to put it back on to go out again. You know, something like that. Yeah. But we never quite get that. And so I, I guess we have to address kind of what happens 37 minutes into the film. That Yeah, again, it's about 37 minutes in when the uh, genre element kicks off. But the the problem being, compared to the previous two films we've looked at, that this kind of comes out of nowhere and there's no... Yeah, there's well, no set up. It largely really. came out of nowhere with Hot Fuzz. Um, the first yes, is but kind with of... with Hot Fuzz, it does all kind of add up at the end. It's yeah. one of those reveals yeah. where you go, "Oh yeah, because they did that," and "Oh yeah, that means that." Yeah. Whereas all you have here is the um, shooting star in the opening montage as a little yeah. tiny hint, but that's it. I mean, it's not entirely true that throughout the film up until this point. Once they've arrived in their hometown, there has been a real sense of, oh, it's all different. And it's kind of played like, well, you've grown up and moved on. And yeah. This place has stayed the same. But then the joke of the film is, oh, no, it actually is all different. And everyone's been replaced by pod people. Mm. And I, I know this was um, born out of a, a, a script that Edgar Wright started writing when he was much younger. I want to say when he was 13, but I might be thinking of Superbad. Uh, but he, he started writing a film when he was much younger called, I think it was called The Crawl, and it was basically the pub crawl side of this film about some people who come back to their hometown and so on, minus the aliens. See, <laughs> and, now that, uh, that sounds very interesting to me. That's the film yeah, I want to see. Yeah, yeah. Because um, there's great character stuff to be done there. Some int- I think it's quite relatable about going back yeah. to your old place and yeah. like... Yeah, finding what's different, what's the same. The people who have never left, it sort of makes you feel, oh, I'm yeah. better than that because I got out of this, but then what have yeah, I done with I, my life? I think I there's totally, lots of stuff to explore there. I completely get that their their approach was, well, we're going to do that, but then the joke is, like I say, that it actually is all different. And I like that conceptually, but I kind of wish they'd dug into what you were just talking about more. Because it's it's kind of all there in this film, but they just don't really dig into it like they could have. And the problem is that's the one hour joke. That's the last hour of of the film. It just becomes sort of actiony stuff. And 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 the the sad thing is that we know from Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg's material is that they can do both. They can balance those things. They can bring you the character and the action and the genre elements, and but still make it work on an emotional level. And and here it doesn't work. Oh, it just doesn't yeah, I mean, get there. It never, it doesn't it, even try. I don't think. I don't know. It, I mean, it does work for me, just not nearly as well as I think it could, um, as well as I'd like it to. Mm. Well, can we can we get into it then? Because I I, I did feel like it, this was supposed to be saying something bigger, something, some sort of deeper allegorical point, and I I couldn't quite grasp what it is. I the, think that people yeah. are robots. Well, <laughs> people are all the same. Well, it's it's obviously a film about our relationship to the past, our, our relationship with the past, and our approach to nostalgia. And I think that the problem this film has is that uh, I think it's ultimately meant as a criticism of living in the past and nostalgia uh, clouding your judgment and not growing as a person. I mm. think they kind of accidentally undermine that by making by that guy the hero. romanticizing <laughs> Gary King's ultimate fate at the end by making yeah. him look really fucking badass and riding <laughs> off into a Mad Max style 
post-apocalypse. Um, I think we're meant to think, oh, the world's fucked. But that whole ending montage is saying, life's actually not so bad like this. And, and Gary actually looks happy because he's able to just live in the past now. And, and so I think it kind of... Again. Yeah, and, and so basically... I think Edgar Wright accidentally made a pro-Brexit movie. <laughs> Before that was even a thing. <laughs> With, I mean, there's a lot of parallels that are very... Edgar Wright's, um, in the days after the referendum, he kept going on about how he'd like made a film about this three times and kept laying out how all these films were about, you know, Brexit, like, accidentally, but, you know... <laughs> Hot Fuzz is about the little, petty little Englanders who want to just keep their little town happy at any cost, you know, blah, 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 yeah. blah, and all this sort of stuff. And you could see it, and there, there definitely is a lot of it in the world's end. It's just like I say, it kind of plays like a positive ending. But then, I don't know, Shaun of the Dead's very similar. Shaun of the Dead is a, a film about a guy who kind of needs to, he's stuck in a rut. He's kind of having a a quarter-life crisis, and he needs to kind of grow as a person and mature, and he does. He he, he grows, he he becomes a leader, he steps up to... He rises to the challenge of of kind of saving the day, he does all that. And then the end of the film is he just kind of reverts back to the status quo and slips back into old ways, and it's kind of brushed off as a gag. That is kind of something I don't like about Shaun of the Dead, because I think... What that ending is saying is that, you know, he's he's not just hanging out with his mate anymore. He's got his girlfriend and he's settled and they've got a bit more like, it's more like a family mm. home and he's going to be all right. And I don't quite, I don't really like that because that doesn't say to me a sort of life achievements, you know, that's no yeah. better really. But I think that's the idea. And the, but yeah. the point, but I, I, I know what you're saying. And the, and the point of Shaun of the Dead is that he does, yes, this opportunity comes his way for him to grow and, and improve himself as a person. Yes, it's a very a dramatic big thing rather than you know prolonged hard work but yeah. it's there and the problem with gary king here is that he never learns anything he never changes he's still the same at the end yeah so but at least sean has the character growth even if there's a bit of a sort of damp squib at the end but i think it's a very similar ending to sean of the dead i, I think it's meant that way though i think it's meant in a kind of darkly comic Look, he, you know, we're fucked, and he's fucked, and <laughs> he hasn't grown. I think, you know, I think that is by design. I kind of think, I think the film would be better if he'd, like, reached a real point of self-examination, and then decided to come back out the other side and just revert to his old ways. Mm. But, um, I don't know, it works for me. I know what you're saying, but I, I like it. Well, should we carry on going through the pubs here? Yeah, go on. Uh, so what have we got? we got Starbucks, that pub's the same, Famous Cocky's band. Uh, so then they get to the fourth pub, and they're kind of... I think a lot of the friends are ready to kind of call it a night, aren't they, at this point? Mm-hmm. And then Gary King goes into the, um, the toilet, and he's peeing, and uh, this little youth comes in, and he, he goes... Too orangey for crows. Just for me, and my, me and my dog. And he uh, he offends him by going on about the old Kia Ora advert. And uh, I think you got a bit mixed then, up there, so what? Yeah, yeah, you're thinking of spaced. Oh no! <laughs> uh, no, the the little um, sort of chav kid. Mm-hmm. 
very much very much dressed in 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 a way where you can imagine Edgar Wright said dress him up like a chav <laughs> to the costume designer yeah he, they get into a little fight in the in the toilet a load of other little chav kids come in and and start fighting uh the other mates come in and start fighting and we just have a kind of full blown Edgar Wright action scene far beyond anything in um Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz in terms of like choreography and stuff like that. My my memory of this film is that this scene was really whilst I enjoyed it, it was annoying because it was like, how come these guys are so good at fighting in a way that's kind of breaking the film. Rewatching it, I think this first scene plays beautifully in terms of it's kind of believable that they could all mm. fight this well. This first one. Because half the fighting is, you know, uh, is it Eddie Marsden hiding in the, the toilet ground, cubicle, yeah. and yeah, it's it's a really kind of messy fight, <laughs> and it's shot and edited beautifully. Edgar Wright is an absolutely outstanding action filmmaker. Well, can I? Uh, what, what I did take from that scene particularly, with general in the film, that it felt the pace was just too slow for it. It felt like we've had to choreograph action scenes for. 45-year-olds who can't fight um, and just had to slow it down a little bit, which I think is probably down to the fact of the actors they've got rather than Edgar Wright's directing ability. But it just felt the pace was not quite there. I I loved it, this fight scene. I I really enjoyed it, watching it again. And like I said, I was watching it very critically because my memory was kind of, I suppose, tainted by the fight scenes later on when it gets a bit more ludicrous. But... No, I, I love this opening one. I think it's a great fight scene. Uh, so yeah, they have a fight, and we're we're introduced to robots basically, because what starts off as a kind of petty squabble in a toilet, which is you know you can believe Gary King would get into a fight with a kid in a toilet, mm-hmm. goes nasty. The guy's head gets hit too hard, because the idea I think is that these robots are quite brittle, mm-hmm. and his head smashes and blue stuff goes everywhere and it's suddenly like what the fuck's going on so now we know that there's a whole load of robots in this town and they try and do a kind of invasion of the body snatchers paranoid conspiracy thing which is really the only point where sci-fi properly gets into the film i would say i think that's one of the problems with this film is it's it's arguably much more of a horror uh, comedy than a sci-fi comedy and it feels like it's retreading territory laid by Shaun of the Dead just because being chased by an army of robot clones is very similar to being chased by a horde of zombies mm-hmm. and you know it was kind of I get it was a very very difficult thing to figure out where the hell they could even go with it they have to do sci-fi I loved that they thought, well, we won't just do Alien Invasion, we'll do a kind of paranoid conspiracy X-Files take on sci-fi. But then they kind of just don't really go far enough with it. I, yeah. I think they could have really got, you know, dug into a something's not right here earlier on. How much do they know? How much do we know? I, I think one of the problems this film has is that there's there's a real sense of a lack of stakes throughout. Yeah, it it feels like the stakes should be much higher. We should be much more concerned, scared for these characters. But there's kind of a sense of, well, the aliens obviously know that they're here, and they're just kind of slowly pursuing them. It's not like a, 
I don't know. It always just feels a bit blasé. Yeah, they never seem quite yeah scared, do they? Yeah. <laughs> really, it's more of a even when they are saying like we should get out of here and stuff. It's they're always talked out of it, and yeah, it, it doesn't quite fit what's going on. Like it should be a bit more, yeah, yeah. life changing. <laughs> yeah, it's a shame. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I do like the justification for them to just carry on with the pub crawl, though. I do think that's handled very well, all things considered. Yeah. Because um, Gary King's kind of driving it, and I think as Nick Frost says, you know, no one's got a better idea, so fuck it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, then we get to uh, the twins and Sam turning up, and this is when it goes all action-y again. And there's a huge fight scene with the twins who kind of become like an end of level boss robot. Yeah, with the legs on the arms. Yeah, and it feels very Scott Pilgrim. It's not a bad scene, but it feels a bit disjointed, I think, from the film. I, I think it's there to kind of get Sam on side, but then there's there's kind of a sense of why. <laughs> But not in only it makes sense is like why are they suddenly fighting? Like why are they because then the the aliens are sort of say you know we don't want you know they want to do it peacefully, but then they'll just start fighting suddenly. But then they don't fight other times. Why not attack them constantly? Mm. I don't, it doesn't doesn't quite. This make is why sense. zombies are so good because they're simple. You know what they're, you, they're they're relentless. They're just coming at you. You can't stop them. Done. But they're also not that great. <laughs> like they're you not. You don't that, have to worry about. They're their not motivation. that fast. They're not yeah. too strong, so you can get away from them to a certain yeah. extent. Well, yes, yeah, same as these things. These things aren't that great. You can kick them in the head, and the head pops off. Hmm. But then they'll just keep coming and replacing themselves. It's very similar, and I, I do think they really shot themselves in the foot by doing robots that were as similar to zombies conceptually. Because mm. what we just laid out, it, it's hitting the same beats, but not as well. And you you go back and watch Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the fifties version or the seventies version, mm. and there there was a whole wealth of stuff they could have mined here with far more. Like I say, that you go down that body snatching route, you go down that paranoid conspiracy, the thing, you know, mm. approach it the way the thing approaches it, where you think someone's infected with robot alien like stuff, but you don't know who it is, and it's a very different dynamic in the thing to what you get in a zombie movie. But yeah, so then they head on to the the mermaid, and then we get a whole load of nostalgia stuff and Nick Frost's tempted away by this seductress who eats his ring. <laughs> well, that'd tempt any man. <laughs> <laughs> There's a whole thing with uh, Nick Frost's character where he, ha- where he has the moment with Gary King where he, he basically says, oh, you know, my life isn't that great after all because, you know, I'm having trouble with a wife and that. And that just never, doesn't feel like a big enough kind of payoff either. Like, if they're going to find... Because it, it, if the whole point is like, well, you know, you think, oh, my life's all, you know, yeah. perfect. But, you know, I like that you're a fun-loving... You've still got this fun-loving side yeah. that I miss. And we never quite nail that down, uh, which I think is probably what they were trying to say. Like, there's mm. grass is greener, you know? 
I don't know. Then we get to the beehive. Turns Mm. out that uh, Ollie Oliver's one of them. Yeah. Turns out that Pierce Brosnan's one of them, and he shows up. That's no surprise. A real fucking crowbarding cameo, where they were like, oh, we can get another big name. Who do we want? James Bond again! James Bond again! Uh, it, It just feels very disjointed, again, from everything else here. Um, yeah. And to be honest, I think that's the through line of this film. It, it's it's everything that made Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and to a lesser extent, Spaced so great. But it kind of feels like a first draft. Just a bit messy. Mm. And I don't know, it just it feels like if, if they'd really sat down and refined this, it could have been beautiful. There, there's some potential for real emotional depth in this film. Yeah, uh, far beyond anything in Shaun of the Dead or Hot Fuzz. Um, I think it, it sort of treads on similar ground to Shaun of the Dead, but Hot Fuzz never really gets to that depth. Uh, yeah, so Hot even Fuzz though it's very entertaining, it's, it's for, yeah, it never really hits yeah. anything too hard. Whereas I think this has the potential to, and then sort of fails. Yeah, it. I agree. Uh, and and then the the shit kind of hits the fan at this point in the film, doesn't it? And they're just chased by aliens, and Simon Pegg goes crazy and just runs from pub to pub, downing pints. And I, yeah. I like the mania of this, but it kind of gets a bit too big. That that statue turns out to be a just like a robot alien, and mm. it all gets a bit Doctor Who because we're working with a British budget. And, <laughs> yeah. um, and then it goes smaller at the very end. Because um, they go down into a secret base where everything's being run out of in the final pub. They kind of have the final third act confrontation. It's kind of just a big conversation with a light, a big yeah. lamp. And I, I kind of Peg puts it. I mean, I'll, fuck off, you big lamp. Uh, I kind of, I did like that. That you know, we've had all the fighting, but then it just comes down to kind of they talk them out of it. Yeah, uh, I definitely like that. And and I I do I have mixed feelings, but I think I do like this bit at the end because what they're saying is true. They're kind of saying "fuck off, we're human and we're fucking stupid, mm-hmm. and we want to be fucking stupid." But then I think the problem with the film is it it, it I, and I think unintentionally so it kind of feels like it is celebrating that because it's so endearing to see these characters call the alien a fucking lamp, yeah, and because obviously you don't want to be like turned into a robot version of you that isn't actually you it's like a copy of you and you know it's quite an understandable thing that they don't want to do that i don't know it doesn't i just don't think it quite because the problem is then we get the final moments of the film where it's gone full post-apocalyptic dystopian because there's a big explosion at the end of the film that wipes out electricity and therefore Mm. technology so we're presented with this fun apocalyptic world and it it could have been incredibly bleak and depressing and made the point the film's trying to make but Nick Frost's happy with the wife and Paddy Considine is happy with uh, Rosamund Pike yeah Gary King's kind of got his wish granted in a twisted way and I I do love the ending for Gary King. I I do love that he just gets to live out his fantasy with the, the this youthful, forever, eternally youthful versions of himself. Um, I also like the 
there's an implication because obviously he orders five waters at the end, so there's an implication that he's doing his pub crawl, but he's now sober, teetotal. Oh, yeah, yeah. But then that's kind of darkly tragic because it's like you're still just living in the past. You haven't solved anything by cutting alcohol out of the equation. Um, <laughs> What's the deeper meaning here then? What 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 is it saying I, I about society? Film, as I say, I think the film's meant as a uh, warning against the dangers of nostalgia and living in the past, and it's. I think the idea is it's saying, live in the past and cling on to it and turn your nose up at progress and being sensible and what have you, and we'll end up in Mad Max post-apocalyptic, uh, post-apocalyptic. Can't fucking speak. Post-apocalyptic world. It's those twelve pints I've been drinking. <laughs> post-apocalyptic world. And that's no fun for anyone because there's no electricity, there's no cornettos. You have to drink in bars with big scary people. But the problem is, the film happy. paints it as a happy ending for everyone, <laughs> or at least they're just the un- same. Yeah, and that's what undermines it completely. But I think it is meant as, I think it's meant to be bittersweet, but it plays mm. kind of as just a happy ending. But in a kind of comedy film, happy ending, kind of a bit silly yeah, sort of way. Yeah, and and the way that it's done, where he's like a post-apocalyptic cowboy, it's just. There's no way to do that without it being silly. It's... And without it being kind of badass as well. That's <laughs> the other one. And that's the thing, they accidentally glorify it. But I, I think the point is, it's saying we shouldn't aspire to this. this but is but it's painted or, as a victory over this world. alien homogenization, which it feels like a victory. It's like, okay, yeah, we've, we've won. Humanity has won out. But then they're fucked. Yeah, and I, like I say, I think that's the point. I think it's sort of saying where it's very easy to read arrogant, you know, belligerent attitudes as as being noble and and victory against you know things like compromise and so on as as being well victory, mm. but they're not, and there's big problems that come with it and ramifications that come with it, and I think that is the point of the film. It's just completely undermined by the fact that everyone gets a happy ending out of it. Yeah, it's a very muddy film. Yeah, it's a shame because I, I, like I say, I think there's so much in here that that is lovely, like really mm. nice stuff there's, going on. There's definitely a few. There's a few moments, definitely a few lines here and there that really made me laugh. Oh, and that's that's a point. You know, I, I feel like I've been really down on it, but I, I, for the most part, I, I love the interplay between you know the characters. This is. It's not on par with Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz, but it's still top-notch comedy dialogue as far as I'm concerned. Mm, it's still it has its very funny and engaging. There's some really great gags in there. And and it's a great, you know, direction again. It's, it's that was really another, it, engaging, it didn't, visually exciting. It, it didn't feel it, that Edgar Wrighty to me either. Like It didn't feel like he was on full blast. I did notice the shot where it's, the camera's looking directly into the mirror. But you can't see the camera, you know, when they're in mm. the disabled toilet. Yeah, uh, that was a nice little thing. It's just a. I like the whole thing with the um, the disabled sign, and but that's it. It's got those little flashes of what you see. That out of order sign, like out does order, several different yeah. things, you know, there's, and there's it kind of has a couple of different meaning. Yeah, yeah, and that works really nicely. There was all sorts of moments, and and when I went after I watched the film, I went back and watched the beginning and watched that like opening montage of the the young drinking session to see how it synced up and stuff. Cause I couldn't yeah. remember it all. I thought, Oh, let's see how much they put into it. And it's not, you know, there's a lot there. Um, but also I noticed that 
when you see the young Gary King leaving Pierce Brosnan's office, as he's walking out, you see on the wall, like just half a wall, it just says, uh, well, it just says Ter's Tale. It's like obviously the end of a winter's tale, which yeah. is something they reference in the film that he has this winter's tale thing. That's like, boo boo. But it's a like that's nice that they've got the production designers has put that in right there, you know, right at the beginning. It's and like it's not obvious, it's not there. I was I wasn't looking for it. I just sort of happened to notice it. You know what I mean? That's yeah. the sort of thing I expect from these guys. Um, they, they describe the Martin Freeman character when they're first introducing him. They describe him as all mouth or something like that like all mouth yeah 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 which obviously he ends up with just the bottom half of his head yeah there's a lot of that in here there is those moments but it's compared to what we've seen in Shaun of the Dead and even Hot Fuzz it it never quite lives up to that and it feels like they yeah like you said it kind of feels like this maybe it's a first draft and you needed a few more passes to yeah and I iron it out I really would love to know what their schedule was in terms of writing this, because to be honest, I think it probably was a much quicker, yeah, a bit of a rush job. I, I think the busy Hollywood Shaun of the Dead was a film they'd obviously been working on for ages while they were getting a film together, you know? I, I think they took a bit of time trying to get the money together to make that film. Um, they were probably working on it for a while. I know Hot Fuzz, they spent something like a year and a half writing after Shaun of the Dead, you know, they didn't rush it out like they could have done. Mm. And The World's End, I, I kind of get the impression they went off, did another film, and then were just kind of in this Hollywood schedule of, right, well, we'll write it really quickly, we'll bash it out, we kind of know how to write a film quickly now. And it just doesn't feel like it's had the same degree of care and time put in. Maybe people weren't quite breathing down their necks as much and script editing in the same way and it's just a bit of a shame because it, it it's got the pieces there. I, I definitely think this is being judged on its lineage. Uh, for me, it yeah. is being sort of held up to a higher standard. Uh, whereas if this was a standalone thing, maybe I could come at it with a bit more of a, oh, it's just a bit of silly fun kind of yeah. attitude. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I do like this film and part of my growing to to like it as much as I do has been just sort of treating it as a standalone thing rather than the conclusion of this trilogy. Not that I ever watch it separate to the other two. <laughs> um, yeah. But I, I mentally have to approach it as, well, you know, if this was just a standalone, like, weird little British comedy that came out, I'd, I'd think a lot of it. Um, uh, I, I definitely, I was also influenced by the fact that that whole kind of post-apocalyptic epilogue was just too long. It was just too much going into the oh this character did this this character it's like come on just give me the it really just needed that Gary King bit you know and mm. I don't know it just felt again just sloppy sloppy in many ways the Cornetto reference at the end feels like they got to the end of the script and were like oh don't you feel like we're forgetting something and they were like <laughs> oh shit shit uh... <laughs> I like I think Nick Frost played that very well though <laughs> Nick Frost longing for an ice cream is uh, good acting. <laughs> yeah. Um, one one final thing I want to mention. I've mentioned the sound mix in Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz and how much I love them. Yeah. Uh, it's less overt in this film. It's less obviously an amazing sound mix, but it's still a very good sound mix. And one detail I do love throughout the film is you get a kind of phone interference noise uh, whenever the robots approach mm. 
and it's very subtly worked in there, but it, it's like a really nice little... Because you kind of hear it and you don't think, oh, phone interference. Yeah, you kind yeah, of think, yeah. oh shit, it's my phone. It, it, like it, it kind yeah. of accesses a different part of your brain that then kind of puts you on edge. And I, it's, it's a lovely little detail. It's exactly the kind of thing I expect from Edgar Wright. Mm. Yeah, I, I don't really have much else to say about it. Do you? Uh, no. I really like that line where he goes, to air is human, so... Uh... I like that. Thought that was very funny. <laughs> <laughs> so I think there's a lot of like really nice bits of dialogue in here. I do. I like the bit where Nick Frost just like pushes the door open, his hand just goes straight through the window. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, little good. moments like that. I'm just, like, I just, yeah. I feel like we've been very negative. I'm just throwing a few little moments that yeah. stick out. And to be honest, for the most part, I think this film's at its best when it isn't beholden to um, Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. I think the weaker moments are when they're kind of like, oh yeah, we've got to do that fence gag again. Oh, well, just well, chuck the, it in here. I mean, to be for me, anything that is not robot-based is is good. Uh, well, you know, at least I'm happy with it, but yeah, the problem is yeah, that it never agree. it never finds an ending, so that like this nice stuff they've set up never kind of yeah. closes out. Yeah. Alright, well, uh, what, what would you rate it, Alan? Come on. Okay. So I, this is, I feel like this is a little bit harsh, but I I was going to give it a flat six, and I just couldn't bring myself to do it. The ending just sort of pulled me down, and I, I so I gave it a five. Oof. Well, that's probably fair because I think I'm about to give perhaps my most egregious rating ever <laughs> on this podcast because. It really shouldn't be a nine, but I'm giving it a nine. Well, come I'm giving it a very no, low nine. No, you are not. You I are am. not. You know you're not. I am. You know you would just. You're it should not really be, be an eight tonight because you're going to regret it. No, it should really be an eight, but I'm giving it a nine. I don't give mm, a shit. You're I love a, it, Alan. I love a it. Fool. And it's it's messy. <sighs> like Shaun of the Dead's like your your one true love, but like the world's ends like that. That kind of weird. You know, scruffy sort of that messy fling you have, and you do. There is like a real connection there, and it's like you know it shouldn't really. It's not going to last, but it's. Do you know what I mean? It's it's. I love it, Alan. I do. I love all three of these films, and I love the world's end. I'm giving it a nine, and that that really is more of an eight point five than a nine. It's, it's, (laughs) but still, you're going to feel regret about this in the future. I know it. You're gonna you're gonna wake up in a cold sweat. (laughs) Remembering well, this well, moment. Well, I'll do a diminisode and re-rate it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Fair enough. But you gave it a five anyway. I've got to pull yeah. the average up. So, you know, if you'd given it a six, maybe maybe I wouldn't have felt so adamant that I had to stick to my guns. <laughs> well, fair enough. Um, and we have discussed in previous episodes like how you would follow follow up. Yeah. I think we've discussed a sort of peg right follow up. So should we try and do a... More specific World's End sequel? Yeah, well, I mean, if I had to pick a film out of the three to have a sequel to, this would be the one I'd want mm-hmm. to see. They they set the... The, the post-apocalyptic world. Yeah, it would be a, a very interesting film. I'd, I'd Yeah, I'd really like to see a kind of Edgar Wright, Simon Pegg, post-apocalyptic Mad Max, but <laughs> in the British countryside kind of film. I, I think that could be really good. But I think the plot element would be... I think you want Nick Frost and Simon Pegg. So, you know, something happens and Nick Frost's family gets, you know, 
kidnapped or something. And so they have to go and, and so rescue. he calls upon Simon Pegg and his band yeah. of robot Blanks. mates to uh to save him. And he has to, they're yeah, like renegades yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it is just and it's just a sort of gentle homage of the stuff like Mad Max. They have to go and fight Tina Turner. You can do a nice role reversal here though. Cause now you can have Nick Frost longing for his status quo, his past, trying mm-hmm. to get back the family and so on. And you can have Gary King just embracing his life and his future because he's happy in the the world mm-hmm. he's uh, created for himself now. So you could probably get something out of that. So yeah, at the end, Gary King has to sacrifice himself for Nick yeah, Frost's give happiness. Him, give him a bit of character journey that he didn't mm-hmm. have in the previous film. Uh, and, and Nick Frost's character could have, you know, that he has this kind of Hulk rage, but it's only through alcohol. It needs to be alcohol fuel, so they have to go and find some alcohol. Yeah. Um, to to yeah. make him go into the Hulk mode. <laughs> yeah. And obviously, you, you do the whole we're getting the band back together, tracking down the other. But they're all dead. Other... <laughs> yeah. That's that's the that's the joke in the first five minutes that they're all dead, yeah. and so they have to just do it alone. The problem with this is it would just be weird to have a sequel to one of these films and not like within the context of a trilogy here, especially this one at the end. So what about a big crossover film where all three films somehow mix together? How would that work? Yeah, some split screen work for Simon yeah. Pegg. Sean meets Nicholas Angel meets Gary King. Wouldn't really make any sense on any level because <laughs> you'd have to have a pub crawl going on in a world where zombies were domesticated, but we never see it. But um, I can I can imagine z- zombies become a thing in uh, in a post apocalyptic landscape. Well, then how come it's not post apocalyptic in Shaun of the Dead at the start before the zombies? Because they uh, live in Crouch End and it London's all upmarket in it. <laughs> It's not really workable. Uh, <laughs> unless the aliens make portals. Hey, portals solve everything. <laughs> Alternate dimensions come together. Yeah. I, I, I was looking... Um, I, I watched an interview with Simon Pegg and Nick Frost and one with Edgar Wright where they were talking about sequels to these films and Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright were kind of like... Well, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost were sort of like I don't think everything has to have a sequel and I think the impulse to see the same thing again whilst understandable and, and something we're all guilty of is perhaps mm-hmm. not healthy and that's arguably what this film is about <laughs> um, <laughs> although if we were going to do it it would probably be hot fuzz is basically what he said <laughs> and Edgar Wright just approached it as a director and just sort of said well I'm open to it but the problem is all of these characters arcs is kind of played out in each of these films, so you'd either have to kind of reset them for the next film and pretend they didn't have that growth, or figure something else out. But uh, he he seemed a lot more open to picking up. At, he said you probably could do one picking up at the end of the World's End, but uh, but that's why the World's End happen, lends knows? itself to it because it sort of sets up a new world at the end, yeah. Yeah. and you know the character never has a, <laughs> any closure. And that's it. They they set up a new world at the end of Shaun of the Dead, but it's one that really mirrors the status quo. Whereas this is very yeah. much a, a, a real change of pace yeah. from all accounts. So, I mean, I, I I'd I'd like to see it, but at the same time, I'd probably rather they just make a new film 
Oh yeah, with the same creative team, and I, I'd be all over mm. that if they did. Um, with puppets. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's still loads of genres to do. They've not done high fantasy. They could do a fantasy film. Yes. Problem is, it wouldn't be part of the Cornetto trilogy, I suppose, because the three we've had are, are kind of domestic genre films. Mm-hmm. And it would be difficult to make a kind of domestic Lord of the Rings, wouldn't it? <laughs> but then I felt the same way when they were like, we're doing sci-fi. I was like, well, you can't have them on a spaceship. How's that going to work? You probably could do a, a fantasy film, like in the vein of Highlander. But then I don't like fantasy, so don't do mm. fantasy. Do a, do, just do a kung fu movie. <laughs> I can see Edgar Wright wanting to do that sort of thing, but I know I'd find it boring. <laughs> Edgar Wright obviously loves James Bond movies. Mm-hmm. So what about he just makes the next Bond? But... That doesn't. That doesn't feel. Maybe not the next Bond because it's already in place, but no, it yeah, doesn't feel one, totally out of the question in Edgar Wright's career. Oh, it might happen because they they they've been getting trying to get Daniel Craig. Like they they get I real bet directors now. Spoken to him about it. I I bet talks have taken place. And the the evidence is there in his work that he can do action and stuff. You know, it's he was on a he was on a name of directors. I think when Danny Boyle was being talked to before Danny Boyle signed on to do the next one before he dropped off it. Um, mm. I'm I'm not sure if it'll ever happen purely because Ant Man suggests Edgar Wright is very much a director who will stick to his guns about what he wants to make, and that yeah, doesn't, that doesn't, doesn't really play. Gel he doesn't want to play James by Bond's, their rules particularly. Yeah, does he? Yeah. The broccolis yeah. won't. Well, that's why Danny hey. Boyle sort of oh. worked, isn't it? None of this cauliflower shit. <laughs> There's two ways: the broccoli way and the highway. <laughs> uh, but it wouldn't surprise me, like, completely if that happened one day. Hey, they could just do a spy Cornetto film. That's its whole own genre, isn't they, it? There's yeah. a long line of British... Actually, yeah. They would... They, I think they'd probably sell that pretty well. You'd get all your Bonds back yeah. in it. Like, as old spies. Yeah, Dalton would come back. Brosnan would come back. They could probably get a new one in there. I reckon Daniel Craig would probably yeah. be in an Edgar Wright film once he's done playing Bond. The price yeah. would probably come down a little bit. Well, there you go, Edgar Wright, Simon Pegg. Get back together, do a spy film, do a musical, do a kung fu movie, uh, have a meeting, like, different flavour Calypso lollies in each one. <laughs> Say it's a new trilogy. Or or what about this, guys? Bookend it. Come back and do a spaced Christmas special. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> they were going to do a spaced Christmas special after Shaun of the Dead, you know? Never came together, but they were, they, were, they, were, they, were set, they were planning to do it. They probably could go back to that well and do a kind of oh look they've all aged and approach it properly. As a one-off special, I think you can get away. Yeah, like a like like a Christmas special or like a two-part thing or something. Thanks, patrons who who selected these three films. Yes, and uh, if you want to become a, a patron of our fine podcast. It's just $1 a month. All you have to do is go to patreon.com forward slash dim returns. Basically what you get for your $1 a month are what we call diminisodes, little bonus episodes we put up. Yeah, there's some really cool, weird little things popping up on there. You've just put up your James Bond secret cinema day out yep. with Calvin, where you were getting little interviews out on the fly. That yeah. was cool. Calvin and I went to the Casino Royale secret cinema, yeah. 
Yeah, you were just telling me how you've done uh, you've done some weird little interviews with your mum, who's been on the show before. So I look forward to that. I think I might make my mum watch Avengers Endgame and just record her reaction, having mm-hmm. never watched a single Marvel film around Christmas this year. That that seems like it could be a laugh. Let's boo-boo!